So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle Earth. (laughs) If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... (laughs) Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. (laughs) We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Here we are for another week at To Read Tolkien, and we are talking this week about the Akelaveth, the downfall of Numenor. And I think we can all agree, it's the best chapter of the whole book. (laughs) Yeah. That's one way to put it. (laughs) Before we get into it, um, I did just want to quickly mention that I was a guest on another podcast that is uh that by the it'll be up by the time this is up on um pop culturally deprived with with matthew and mandy k and if you've never listened to it that's just one where they watch movies that mandy's never seen before because there are a whole bunch that she's never seen and then they talk about them and it's really good and i like what they do and we ended up talking about blazing saddles which is about as far <laughs> from Tolkien as you can get, I guess. <laughs> but it's still an interesting movie to talk about. So if you want to hear I'm me now, there. now I'm trying to think of things that are further from Tolkien. And you're right, I can't. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> it. That's as far as you can go. <laughs> it is. But I don't know. We had a really good time recording it. And I, I love their show. So if you want to check it out, you should. Sounds like a blast. We did not divvy up things. We didn't. Um, I can do characters. All right, Rachel, do you want to do the long summary, or are you interested in me reading through your notes? <laughs> Either one. Do you want to give it a go? Because that could be really funny. Um, as I haven't even looked at your notes, indeed it could be. <laughs> so let's let's do that. All right. I can add some supplementary humor as yeah. needed. Yeah. Uh, All right, so our cast of characters um, in this chapter is gigantic, and we're not going to talk about all of them. We're just going to talk about the ones that you should know here, and then we will introduce the rest of them as we go through the summary. Um, So, right, we have Morgoth slash Melkor, um, who's been around since the very beginning of this book. He has been banished into the void. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag life goals. Um, We don't really deal with him in this chapter. Sauron, who was grounded by dad, uh, ended up building an evil empire in Mordor. And that's where he's at at the beginning of this chapter. And then we have the Adain, who are the group of good men, quote unquote. Uh, They lead to the Dunedain, the Numenorians, and they are the kings among men. And then we have Elros, who you may remember was the brother of Elrond. He's descended from the three houses of the Adain, um, but is in part also the Eldar and the Meyer. He chose uh, to live as a man, and he rules the Dunedain for uh, 410 years and ends up actually living for 500 years. So even though he's living as a man, actually still kind of an elf. Um, We have a ton of kings who we are not going to talk about because mostly they don't matter. Uh, They show up, they do something, then they die, and they're never mentioned. But Iluvatar comes back in this chapter. He was also known as Aru, and he 
was God at the very beginning of this book. You may remember he started the whole thing off creating light in the void. Um, and now he is gonna finish it by God. Um, he's the highest of all deities and the one who basically birthed the Valar and all of creation through song. And I hate him more than anyone else in this book. He is the absolute worst. I get that we this also fiction, hmm? but it's just funny that we have to be like, he is God. He's the one who started it all. <laughs> there are a lot of gods. He was the first one. And then he left for pretty much the entire book. Yeah. Personally, I blame him for everything, but that's just me. He was terribly abusive. Uh, then we have Manway. He's the Lord of the Valar and of the Eagles. Uh, he has seen too much in his hard life. Rachel hates No, no the Eagles Manway. have seen too much shit. Manway deserves everything he's seen. Does he, though? The Eagles do not. <laughs> They're the ones who've had to watch all this stuff go down, and they get no thanks for it. Anyway, Manway's the worst. Pretty much they just get hated on for not destroying the ring. Yep. Which really, was that their responsibility? But anyway. Then there's Nimloth, and this is where we get a little confusing because this is the white tree, except not the white tree you remember from Lord of the Rings. This is um, a seedling of Celeborn, who is the tree, not the person that we met later. Um, and it is descended from, I can't do this name, from Galathilion, the yeah. tree of Tuna. Uh, which was made in the image of Telperion, one of those trees we talked about at the beginning of the world. Uh, so Nimloth is very important to this plot. Yay. Everything has names that are shared with everything else, and it's very confusing. Yeah. All right. So a very, very brief summary of this chapter, which is like over 20 pages long and can literally just be summed up as men suck. They're corrupted by Sauron get convinced that it's a good idea to invade Valinor for some reason, and Iluvatar ends up making the world round and drowns Numenor. The end. He does. Well, here's my question, though, because, you know, drowning Numenor was pretty much on purpose, so did he make the world round and drown Numenor, or did he drown Numenor by making the world round? I think both? he wanted to do both as two separate things. Because Numenor was punished for turning evil, and the world was made round because he was like, well, we're gonna take Valinor out, and men can sail as far fucking west as they want, but they're just gonna <laughs> end up where they started. Ha ha. <laughs> Fuck you, Magellan. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't here, Rachel. He wasn't here. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my thinking on that. Yeah. I think it just sort of all goes together. Iluvatar was like, I've sat out for this whole time. Let's do some really big stuff now in one go. Yep. Sounds like him. Maybe He, he like took a nap for yeah, a few thousand say, years. I was just going to say, maybe he had a, a couple thousand year long nap after making the world. Right? This is what I'm saying. Didn't, didn't God rest on the seventh day? He I, did. I know nothing about day, religion. Not the thousand <laughs> of years that followed, presumably. You never know. Well, Okay, I I don't know what you both are knowledgeable in, but it's if it says God rests on the seventh day, does it say for how long he rests? Could he not have then rested for a further 2,000 years? That would explain a lot. <laughs> You're not wrong, but the day is a confined period of time mm. on Earth. Mm. No, I'm, I'm fluent in, I had to go to church every Sunday 
growing up. So that's what I remember. Okay. Okay. So long summary. Um, okay. I thought you were telling me to recap all the stuff that's no. gone. <laughs> no, like, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, the chapter begins with a short recap of everything that has just happened with the end of the war and Elrond choosing to be an elf and Elros choosing to be human. And that the Dane were the good guys who fought with the who fought with the Eldar and the rest of humans were evil, I guess. So the few the 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 Adain are rewarded by the Valar who raise an island out of the sea for them to live on and it is called Andor, the land of gift and I can't believe you wrote all of these down. <laughs> Andor, yeah, the land of gift it. and also Elena, which is Star Wars and Anadune, which is Westerness, and Numenore in the High Eldarin tongue. Most people just call it Numenor. Okay, some quick geography about the island. So the city of Andunie faces west toward the sunset, and also Valinor. Menaltarma, the Pillar of Heaven, is on a high place, hallowed to Uryu Iluvatar. And Armin... <laughs> Arminelos is the main city and the seat of the king. I am so glad I didn't draw the short straw and have to say all of those words. <laughs> you did and, really well. And of course, did. the first High King is Elros. Everything is pretty great in Numenor. No one is sick or hungry, and people live long lives, only fi finally dying of super old age. Elros is king, and he and those descended from him have even extra long life for Numenorians. Uh... They all get good at making things, especially ships, because they like sailing. And I guess that's because, like, at least the Line of the Kings is descended from Arendelle. So they have some of that, that ocean love in them. Sailing mojo. Yep. I'd like to put a, a sidetrack here for so much that this has to do with water. There is no Ulmo in it. Yeah, right? Yeah, it I thought, yeah. No, I had that moment when the storm came and they were talking about being on the ships. Jeez. Where'd he go? And I... I think it was Ose who's to, who raised the island, because he was briefly mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Because it, it wasn't Olmo at any rate. No. And I do sort of feel, though, it, once it got past that recapping, it was sort of setting up the Valar as being this other force, like the powers, not these people the elves have met and, and talk with, you know, because it was sort of a human against Valar situation. Definitely, but so, but yeah, it is. It is kind of strange. I like to imagine that he's just like sunk back into the depths. He's like, "Yep, I'm done now. Bye, guys." Maybe he's coveting the Silmaril at the bottom of the ocean. Ha ha! <laughs> he's just he like holding it like he's my precious. Nobody's gonna come and take it from him. Yeah. So the Valar, however, placed a ban on the Dunedain that they couldn't sail so far west that they could no longer see Numenor. Um, so they couldn't try to seek out Valinor, the Undying Lands, because. They're mortal. <laughs> or as Rachel says, you have a really good life here, guys. Don't push it. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they push it. Yep. So elves would come to visit from Avalone, the haven on the island of Erisea, uh, gifted to the elves who were called home to Valinor after all the evil adventures of the previous 20-some chapters. Among their gifts are invasive species of birds and plants, and also the white tree. I also just want to put in the side here, uh, just because we didn't mention it earlier. Everybody has pretty much abandoned the humans left in Middle-earth. And they are left to just steep, 
I guess, in their evilness and make war on each other. Like, nobody's helping them. Nobody's worrying about them. They're just left to kill each other, <laughs> which I think is a little fucking ridiculous. The only higher power left on Middle Earth is Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Um, and I do think it's interesting that they're not allowed to go to Valinor, but hey, Valinor can come to them and be like, hey guys, we brought gifts from this better place. Like, who, who didn't see that turning out poorly? As always, Manway is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, the uh, Dunedain keep sailing a lot and come to Middle-earth and brought corn and wine to the humans on Middle-earth to help make their life better. Okay, okay, I guess that kind of does contradict what I just said, but previous, this is like hundreds of years later. There was hundreds of years where humans were just left alone. Yeah, we should clarify. There are thousands of years covered in this chapter. Yeah. It's a like, long time. Like, Elros was king for 410 years, so, and this is after him. Right? Is this after mm -hmm. him? Um, yes. I think so. I don't know. Time's a little... Flexible. Yeah, there wasn't really... 19 pages ago, I don't remember. Yeah, there wasn't really a clear timeline about when this sort of stuff started happening. And there are still elves on Middle-earth, too, but nobody mm -hmm. really seems to be paying any attention to what's going on over there. Yeah, and there are some of the Dunedain who go hang out with the elves on Middle-earth, too, at times, visit with them. Yeah. So, uh, these the humans at the Dunedain help become somewhat less evil and also discover farming. Yay! Or are taught, taught farming. Okay, as an aside, sorry, another one. When it when they talked about the elves coming from Valinor to Numenor and bringing gifts, I was really hoping that they were going to talk about wine or food or something in our ongoing quest to figure out. But no, it was like, here's some birds and also here's a tree. Lame gifts. Yep. But it is it is the, <laughs> the Dunedain, though, who give give wine. And it's... Yeah. That's it. And I, That's I how you have a party. Co corn and wine kind of sums up my life here in central Illinois. <laughs> God, it's so true. That's so sad. Okay. So, uh, the hu these humans became somewhat less evil, the ones on Middle-earth. But alas, the same cannot be said for the Dunedain, who, while long-lived, still die. And thus it was that a shadow fell upon them, in which maybe the will of Morgoth was at work that's, that still moved in the world. That was a weird sentence. That's Tolkien's fault, not mine. Yeah, yeah. The Dunedain start talking about maybe paying Valinor a visit. The Eldor, the Eldar, tattle on them, and Manway send messengers to tell them being on Valinor won't make them immortal. The king says, yo, but what about Arendil, who still lives? Arendil. Arend whatever. The messenger says, yes, but he is special and also sundered from you forever, so that is not the point. I mean, he was also, well... He was half-elf. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that didn't come up. Like, he was half-elf. He had a Silmaril. He had other shit going on. Yeah. Um, they also basically explained that this was Iluvatar's will, and no, they don't know why either, but this fate was afforded to men specially, and that's pretty much how it is. Also, death wasn't terrible until Morgoth, and oh crap, evil has come even to the island of awesome people. <laughs> what was that sentence, Rachel? <laughs> 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 um, they, the, yeah, I don't. I think more that they realized the messengers realized that. No, I don't. I have no idea what I was going for. No one found death terrible until Morgoth was here. The early humans 
apparently we're fine with it i don't know um but then also the messengers like come to realize like oh my god this is in fact morgoth's influence evil is here Mm -hmm. i do think the whole death thing maybe it's because the back then the races had more interaction with each other at least more so than the people of Numenor because uh what's his face the first of the Adain the old guy the one who died they are they are they are yeah when he died like the elves were intrigued and almost jealous mm-hmm. and I think that like I feel like when they were more intertwined humans and elves it was seen more as like we have two different paths but there's good and bad in both. Mm-hmm. But now it does seem more like the humans, at least, or the Adain at least, are beginning to think there's two different paths and the other one is better. Yeah, definitely. So, all this uh, thought leads to a sundering of the Dunedain because the king, uh, who's the current king, is Tar. Oh, fuck me. Tar. <laughs> Atanamir. Atan- yeah, yeah. One more and time. His son, Give it a try. Tar and Kalamon. Yeah. Nice we're, done. <laughs> we're unhappy, and Tar Atanamir stubbornly clings to life beyond the end of all joy, and they become estranged from the elves and the Valar. And also, he, like, didn't give up being king, because it was mentioned before that Elros ruled for until... He- I don't remember if it was for 410 years or if it was until he was 410 years old. But he lived until he was 500 or lived for 500 years. Well, I don't remember which. So he like gave up being king and passed that on to his son. See, I thought it was the other way that he had lived 80 years previously and then was king for 410. Oh, shit. But, Maybe. Or 90 years. Uh, the math didn't check out. But because what I thought was that I, I just read it as that they died when they were supposed to. And that left like usually their sons were in their prime then. But this guy hung on so long that kind of like Queen Elizabeth. Yep. (laughs) Womp, womp, womp. It's terrible. I like Queen Elizabeth. Sorry. Yep. But then, and it's noted that they would, um, like, they would wed late in life. And so they would make sure that, like, they timed it right and didn't have a kid when they were 30 and leave that kid you know yeah (laughs) i mean to to be fair if i was gonna live to be 400 years old i mean i don't want to get married and have kids at all but if Mm. i did and i was gonna if i was a completely different person is what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) i also would not want to get married and have children too early because you got shit to do you got to go invade valinor you know obviously so meanwhile uh there are some other dunedain who are still troubled by death, but they wish to keep the friendship of the elves and listen to the council of the Valar. These ones are called the Elendili, the elf friends. I want to be an elf friend. I like I like that word, Elendili. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, super creepy. They had people try to discover how to bring people back to life, or at least keep people Ew. alive longer. All they managed to do was preserve the flesh of the dead kings. Which is... Ew. Which would presumably lead to why Sauron was originally thought to be the necromancer. Like, that this seems to be the beginning of necromancy as a plot line. Yeah. 
I think you're right. I don't think we have seen anything like it before this. Yep. Um, the Numenorians also first began building settlements in Middle-earth after this, seeking to increase their dominion. Meanwhile, elsewhere, and back in time a bit, Sauron built a stronghold in Mordor. And he hates the Numenorians because they aided the elves in the battle against Sauron when Sauron forged the One Ring. More on that next week. And, like, a couple weeks after that, a lot more on that, I guess. <laughs> also, apparently he ensnared three lords of Numenor with the Nine Rings given to men, and he uses the Ringwraiths to plague the settlements made by the Numenorians on Middle-earth. Yay. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. Yay, Ringwraiths. We're moving. So things are getting worse on Numenor, the white tree is beginning to decline, and the king, hmm, <laughs> our Gimelzor, sure. Punishes, a very evil sounding name, let it be noted. Yeah. Uh, punishes those men who remain faithful to the elves. He has them move to the east of the island so he can keep an eye on them, and many leave for good. A couple people are super rapey and take wives that don't want it, and stuff isn't super great. Our Farazon? Farazon? Hmm. Our Farazon, sure, is one of them, and it's extra bad because not only did he take Muriel to wife, who was the only child of the last king and should have ruled herself, but also they were cousins. This is obviously a sign of the downfall of Numenor. <laughs> Um, our Farazon is mad about Sauron taking over Middle-earth, not because of the actual takeover, but because Sauron calls himself King of Men, which is obviously a title reserved for our Farazon, so he decides, decides to go make Sauron swear fealty to him. Which Sauron does, because he's a twisty motherfucker. <laughs> our Farazon doesn't trust Sauron's sweet-talking, but decides the best way to keep Sauron to his oaths is to bring him to Numenor. This works out as well as you'd expect. Yeah. And within three years, Sauron is the king's closest counsel. I kind of love Sauron. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he plays it really well. He's he cleverer is, than expected. Yeah. I wish like they could just upend Sauron and stick him into Game of Thrones. See what happens in the, the politics. You know, like have like a political thriller, but Sauron's involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Sauron convinces, I hate this name, our Farazon that the world was made out of darkness and only the Lord of Darkness can offer them absolute power. And thus Sauron turns our Farazon to the worship of Melkor, which must be a good time. I think there's some human sacrifice later. Yep. It's fun. Yep. Some of the faithful, I just put an extra letter into that word. Some of the faithful aren't cool with this, including Amandil, counselor of the king, and his son, Elendil, whose sons were Isildur and Anarion. Sauron tries to convince our Farazon to cut down the white tree. He doesn't, but word of it comes to our band of faithful, and Isildur sneaks into the court of the king, and he takes a fruit from the tree. <laughs> He's wounded with many wounds, but he brings the fruit home. The fruit sprouts, and when it opens its first leaf, Isildur, who had been on death's door, awakens. Holy metaphor, Ben. <laughs> I really need to read ahead when I'm gone. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> um, so then our Farazon did actually cut down the tree. Just so our readers are aware, this is the tree that does end up as the white tree in Gondor. It's just like a descendant of this tree. 
Yep, it's the it's, the one that Isildur took, I assume. From what I recall, there's a couple of more saplings. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> there's Nimloth, which is on Numenor, and then the fruit becomes the first tree of Gondor in I believe Minas Ethel, and then the second tree of Gondor in Minas Arnor, and then the third tree of Gondor in Minas Tirith. Those are technically all different trees, but they're all spreaded from this tree. And then technically, I believe at the end of the Lord of the Rings, that is the fourth uh, tree of Gondor. Because doesn't Aragorn go out into the... Man, it's been a while since I read the books. He goes and finds it somewhere or something? That's a thing, right? Yeah, it's been too long here also. Yeah. It's not like it is in the movies at any rate. Is anything like it is in the movies? Um, Interesting, this is more like it is in the movies. Sides dramatically. With, like, the dramatic leaf opening up. Uh-huh. It's true. It does have that melodrama tinge. Anyway. It's nice to see Isildur being a hero. Yes. Because he does. Too, it it's is. Like he's, he's really, like, the good guy of this. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you just watch you the movies... You see why everybody loved him. He just seems like a bit of an asshole. Mm-hmm. But it makes his, his downfall even more terrible, really. Yeah. That he couldn't, he couldn't resist the ring. So then, um, our Farazan, our favorite, our favorite king, did actually cut down the tree and burns it, and it smokes so badly that the land is clouded for seven days. More evil happens, including human sacrifices to Melkor, begging him to spare them from death. This has the opposite effect, because they're killing people? Yeah. Because people <laughs> now start dying of madness or sickness, and not just of old age. Also, they start to kill each other with weapons. When Arpharazon was approaching death, Sauron convinced him that he was now strong enough to attack the Valar. Good guy, Amon- Amandil? Amandil? Amandil. Dil. Yeah. Amandil, Here- yeah. Hears about this and decides he must sail to Valinor first to try to beg for mercy from the Valar. He tells his sons and grandsons to be ready with ships, but not to participate in the war. He pretty much says, move on to a boat and be ready to GTFO. <laughs> I think it says that exactly. I think that was an exact quote. <laughs> Me quoting of what it says. <laughs> an exact Tolkien quote. GTFO. Uh, nothing is ever heard of Amandil again. Signs start coming from the west, including storms of rain and hail, and also a great cloud shaped like an eagle, and also sometimes actual eagles with lightning and thunder. They didn't <laughs> heed the warning, instead, gathered their ships, and our Farazon set sail to wage war on Valinor. To be fair, at this point, I was actually kind of on his side because he was like, they have struck first. Let us go. I'm like, well, actually, the lightning's hitting the island. And that makes people. sense. They, they kind of did. But I think I don't know. that's just another example of Manway not, not handling things well. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I wouldn't say I was on their side, but I was like, okay, I get it. That makes sense. You were provoked, if nothing else. I know you were looking for provocation. But... Yeah, I'm not generally on the side of human sacrifice, but I could understand their thinking here. So then uh, Arpharazon sets foot on the shore of Valinor. Some of his men camp around Tuna. In response, Manway calls on Iluvatar, who changes the world, opening a great chasm between Numenor and Valinor and drowns all the ships, and Arpharazon and his troops on land are buried under falling hills. There it is said that they lie imprisoned in the caves of the Forgotten until the last battle and the Day of Doom, Rachel's favorite day. <laughs> Pretty much. But also, that's a pretty terrible fate. 
That they just lay under there forever? Right, like, you showed up on, on Valinor, and now you don't get to die. Yep. Which I suppose is counter to what Manway tried to say earlier, but still. Like, Maybe it's a bit of a be careful what you wish for. Yeah. It's a heck of a punishment. Yeah. So, back on Numenor, it had been 30 days since the ships left. 39. Yep, precisely. 39 days since the ships left. And all of a sudden, everything goes Armageddon. Pretty much everyone drowns, the island sinks, but Elendil and his sons were ready with their ships to GTFO. <laughs> and were blown to Middle-earth. Can you imagine being those people left behind and just, it's been over a month, and all of a sudden, like, literally, the ocean opens up and eats you. <laughs> yep. And just to tie everything up, this is when the world is main round, and because of the shifting water levels, this is when Beleriand goes underwater. So any humans that were still living there, they were bye fucked bye. too. Yep. Uh, and the shore of Middle-earth becomes the shore of Middle-earth that we know from Lord of the Rings. Yay. So Sauron, meanwhile, was also caught up in the destruction, but as he's not mortal, he lived but could never again appear in a fair-looking form, like what happened with Morgoth previously, which again leads to the cyclical, I don't think I said that word correctly, nature of Tolkien's stories. Cyclical? Um, sure. Okay. <laughs> the round nature. <laughs> um, he goes back to Mordor and makes himself a new evil-looking form known as the Eye of Sauron. Yay! The chapter ends with a story that some believe the hallowed pillar of heaven was not lost and instead rose again above the sea and some still sail westward trying to find the island, but no one ever did and those who sail now find themselves circumnavigating the earth, which is now round. Nonetheless, since the elves were still permitted to go to Valinor, men knew there must be a way and there are rumors of some few who found the path and made it looking upon the White Mountain, dreadful and beautiful, before they died. And that's it. Dang. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that Isildur was alive on Numenor. Like, I thought, I don't know. Like, they must literally land on Middle-earth and suddenly be involved in war with Sauron. Yep. I mean, I guess they have time to set up Gondor and stuff, but crazy. Yeah. I know he's long-lived, but it's a pretty sucky life. And, oh, and it... Uh, at the end, they rename Numenor, too, and give it a much more uh, recognizable name. Yes, so they have new names, um, Mar Nufalmar, uh, that was whelmed in the waves, Akalabeth, the Downfallen, aka the title of this, and Atalante in the Eldaran tongue. So basically Atlantis. Yeah, which is what, which is the story that Tolkien wanted to write when he wrote this he wanted to write his own sort of atlantis myth which i guess is something we've never talked about about how when tolkien started to write like the lord of the rings and the silmarillion what he wanted was to give england its own mythology since it doesn't really have one on the same level as like the greeks and the romans mm -hmm. and that sort of thing since we can't give the celts any credit yeah <laughs> right like well he was an arrogant not, white man yeah not perfect <laughs> And I was going to yeah, say, no, he white, wanted to give them his own mythology, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, King Arthur? Like, there are a lot of myths, um, but none that he wanted, I guess. Do you really need a reason 
to write a book? Uh, no, well, no, obviously not. He can write whatever he wants. But yeah, I uh, that's that that's what I've heard that he wanted to create. I've heard that too. Mythology. Well, I think it worked. And knowing that is one of the reasons why I have a problem with the Tolkien estate having such a problem with the movies. Because I actually think maybe Tolkien wouldn't have liked the movies themselves. But what he wanted was for these stories to be told over and over and over again in different ways and forms. And for the the essence of the stories to survive. And mm. I think that's happened. Yeah. So I think the Tolkien estate needs to get off its fucking high horse. But Well, I mean... Christopher's holding on like that one Numenorean king who refused to die, but he's retired. <laughs> he's retired from the I know, estate. He just though. retired finally, but I can't believe you just. I'm sure they're nice people. <laughs> I'm sure they are too. I couldn't resist making the connection. Okay, okay, that's fine. <laughs> anyway, I would like to bring up my very important discussion point. Okay. Oh, I didn't scroll down that far. Ah, yes. Um, the moral of this chapter. <clears throat> is actually that capitalism is evil. Um, was this a <laughs> capitalist country? It felt a little... Well, no, that's what led to the downfall, was they were living perfectly content as basically like a happy socialist commune. And once they started feeling the need to make money and add, you know, make outposts and stuff to assert their power, and it talks about their greed for, you know, basically running an economy on middle earth that's when everything goes bad so once they they accept the shackles of capitalism they lose everything i'm 100 percent not disagreeing with your point here i just <laughs> think it was more of an imperialist society well, and they too. were looking to expand their empire yes it is it's capitalism and imperialism go hand in hand and we're oh. all I mean, looking at the state of your country currently, <laughs> that's not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Not to get it. too political, sorry. <laughs> You're not wrong, so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much everything went to hell once they stopped going and giving stuff to Middle Earth and decided instead to rule them. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, going back a couple minutes here with mentioning that, uh, you know, King Arthur is a myth of England, like Avalon was uh, in this. Or Abalone, whatever. That's obviously mm -hmm. Avalon. So he did sort of work it in. Yeah. And we could go on to argue that Aragorn is kind of an Arthur figure with his whole reclaiming the sword situation. That's a good call. Now I want to try and go through all of the members of the Fellowship and assign them. Knights of the Round of, Table? Parts of the court, yep. Well, Barmir's obviously Lancelot. <laughs> Just without the woman involved, because it's Tolkien. Yeah. Well, Can't have okay, so I was wondering earlier why, like, was Rohan just not at the Council of Elrond? Yeah. Because, yeah, I was sitting there thinking about this earlier for some reason. Like, it feels like they would have gone. Okay. As mentioned before, it's been a while since I read the books. But A, I think at the time Rohan had its own shit going on because uh, Saruman was already fucking with Theoden at that point mm -hmm. um, and sending Urukai and bullshit in to, to mess with them. And also, f the only reason Gondor was there was because, didn't somebody have a dream? Shit, maybe that's after Boromir dies. I know after Boromir dies, Faramir had a dream about After it, Boromir but... dies, Faramir has a dream. I feel like Boromir had a dream about it. 
or somebody. I only know what happens in the scene that's in the movies. Yeah, in the shit. I've seen the movies editions. so many times yeah. that it's replaced the books. Well, we'll talk about this later. But my personal opinion is that they are better. Anyway, but it, even if um, it was as it yes, is depicted it in the too, movies. He, he set out to decipher a riddle that was given to him and his brother in their dreams. Okay, so they both had the dream. Great. We could have had Faramir. Well, you know, the world was saved, so... Yeah, it was okay. went as they did. I say as if it really happened. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen. Right. Um, I kind of... Like, I like The Hobbit, but I kind of just want to skip it and get into The Lord of the Rings, but... No. I love The Hobbit. I like it, too. I just, personally, I like the more meaty stuff, I suppose, of The Lord of the Rings. When I think coming from the Silmarillion, it would work, too. I want to rest my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. But that's all right. We'll just have to reread the Silmarillion before we start Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Sure. Tell us how that worked out for you, Rach. (laughs) Yeah, no thanks. Not that I dislike the Silmarillion. I do like it. I just like to skim it. Yeah. <laughs> read read the good parts like Baron and Luthien and skip the long, long, long list of family trees. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so one more chapter. One more chapter. So homework for next week is, of course, Of the Rings of Power. And, uh, of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. And I think it is shorter than this. I could Not be by wrong. much, but yeah, yeah. I, could, I could be absolutely wrong. I shouldn't. Say I counted it. It is shorter, but it's still extensive. But it will have a lot of familiar no, wait. characters. I in think it. I can't do math. It might be longer. Hmm. I didn't speak then, so then we got some. It'll be good. We got some good stuff in that. Yep. And then we'll be done with some Rillian. Whoa! What? And then we're. I. I honestly don't even remember if I mentioned this last week, but then we're gonna have two non-book episodes um and then we're gonna start in on the hobbit gonna be a good time oh yeah yes i'm so looking forward to watching the hobbit movie yep Mm -hmm. i am excited i guess i am actually excited for this soundtrack the music's good that's it it's the only good part well there are some scenes that are pretty there are some just face is nice that's this is very true we can cling to that. That's it. That's all we got. But that's not... That's two weeks away, so we got some time. Yep. Okay. Right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. If you have anything you want to... Nope. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. <laughs> if you want to join in on the conversation at all, you can email us at uh, wanttoreadtolkien at gmail.com. You can tweet us at toreadtolkien. And I believe that is everything. And uh, we will see you next week for the final chapter. I've been Rachel. Oh, yep. I've been Caitlin. I've been Emmy. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Oh, boy. Emmy, do you want to go for characters or? Yep. Go sure. For it. <laughs> she just said that.
I did. <laughs> it's okay. Rachel's lived a hard life today. She's a By little sun baked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she toasted her brain. It was a so. real struggle, but someone had to do it. You, you, you could have. <laughs> you could have given Hosier a lift to take him to church. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. No. I just dropped cheese onto my computer. <laughs> I just burped really loudly, so we're good. <laughs> we are professional oh. podcasters. Um, Professionals.